Joe Biden has selected Kamala Harris as his VP running mate, creating the most pro-abortion ticket in American history. Harris is a Trojan horse for the pro-abortion movement, and a Biden-Harris administration would be to babies what Nazi Germany was to Jews. We will examine Kamala's bigotry and hatred for babies and exactly how she would attack our most vulnerable brothers and sisters. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in today. I want to thank a couple patrons of Unaborted before we get started, our growing community of people who are just helping support this show so that we can do more, expand our show, and hopefully eventually move to actually more episodes a week and more interactive content, taking what you enjoy listening to, to the streets to change minds and change hearts. So I'd like to thank Vincent Hennessy as well as Carlin Wong for being monthly patrons at Patreon for Unaborted. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for your continued support. And please continue to share this show with friends and uh, continue to grow that fun community. We have a whole series of tiers and perks available now at Patreon for you. And for those of you who choose to support the show, which I appreciate very much. And that gives, gives you access to exclusive content, perks, and sort of different conversational uh, interactions with me as well. So Kamala Harris hates babies, probably more so than any other member of Senate, with the maybe exception of one or two. She's incredibly far left, and yet she's being heralded by the mainstream media as what the New York Times called a pragmatic moderate, because they know that Joe Biden has gone to the left. They know the party's been taken over by the left, and they know that if they only pander to the left, they're not going to be able to get the votes that they need to win uh, this election. So they have to cast her as a moderate in all in all ways, as just a pragmatic, open-minded moderate in order to pander to particularly middle America in areas of the country who are not so friendly to how the left has taken over the Democratic Party. But she is incredibly radical and incredibly pro abortion. So Joe Biden selecting Kamala Harris as his VP running mate is really just a Trojan horse for the pro-abortion movement who has found their home for decades in the Democratic Party. So on August 11th, Joe Biden tweets out, I have the great honor to announce that I pick Kamala Harris, a fearless fighter for the little guy, and one of the country's finest public servants is my running mate. Now, of course, the little guy uh, excludes all unborn babies, right? It excludes fetuses, not those little guys, not the little babies in the womb. Uh, whose deaths that we demand that you fund. So this does make the most pro-abortion political ticket in American history. And if you want to know more about where Joe Biden stands on abortion and his history, his, his legislative history, what he's done to support killing babies, then just go listen to episode 52 of this show. And that was called Joe Biden Abortion Crazy Kook. And we went through his very long political career, looking at the sort of the highlights of what he has done and how he has targeted unborn children. But let's look at what Kamala has done as a politician to target unborn babies. And once we once we get through this, I think you'll see why I'm saying this is the most pro-abortion ticket in American history. So in 2019, Kamala Harris co-sponsored a piece of federal legislation entitled the Women's Health Protection Act. Uh, right, in typical leftist euphemistic fashion, is anything but protecting the health of women. And the stated purpose of the Women's Health Protection Act of 2019 
is to protect the ability to perform and obtain abortions. And it has been, up until this point, the most radical pro-abortion federal piece of legislation. Now, obviously, you had New York's Reproductive Health Act, right? You had Virginia pushing the Reproductive Health Act. And those were radical in their own rights, namely because they legalized abortion through the point of birth and allowed non-doctors to perform abortions. But with the Women's Health Protection Act, the amount of things that Kamala Harris attempted to get done and achieve for uh, some of her biggest political donors, Planned Parenthood, <laughs> in this piece of legislation was unbelievable. How broad sweeping the goals of this piece of legislation were. So what would this have done? What would the Women's Health Protection Act have done? Well, the Charlotte Lozier Institute has a great piece entitled 10 Things You Need to Know About HR 2975, which is the Women's Health Protection Act. And if you want to go check that out, it's a very in-depth analysis of sort of, yeah, the 10 things that it probably would have accomplished thanks to Kamala Harris. Firstly, doctors and nurses who conscientiously object to abortion could have lost their jobs and Catholic hospitals could have lost public funds. Think about that for a second. That is, that is unbelievably anti-federalism, anti-American, anti-constitution, anti-freedom. But we've talked about on this show before how the left and the pro-abortion movement has tried to manipulate and coerce either healthcare professionals who have religious objections or just personal moral objections to abortion to perform it anyways upon threat of career extermination. And Catholic hospitals who provide care to literally tens of millions of Americans a year would be threatening with losing public funds if they didn't want to perform an abortion. Secondly, the Women's Health Protection Act would have jeopardized informed consent laws such as ultrasound uh, requirements and reflection periods, right? Two of the sort of incrementalist strategies of the pro-life movement to save lives because not, unfortunately, no state has been able to completely ban abortion yet. There's always an ACLU lawsuit and the the attempt gets tossed by the courts. Uh, these types of these types of pro-life legislation requiring an ultrasound before a woman can get an abortion because if she sees her baby, she's more likely to keep her baby or requiring a 24 or 48 hour waiting period um, so that she doesn't make just a rush decision based on emotion and a desire to eliminate the baby so nobody finds out. This piece of legislation would have jeopardized those pro-life laws as well. It would have jeopardized parental notification requirements, which you would think would be such a bipartisan issue. Can If, if, if you're going to insist that we kill babies and fund it, can we at least agree that children shouldn't be able to kill babies, that minors shouldn't be able to do that uh, by going behind their parents? Shouldn't we involve parents in that decision? No, the left doesn't want that. The Women's Health Protection Act would force states to allow discriminatory abortions. Another piece of pro-life legislation that says you can't kill babies for discriminatory reasons, right? We had an episode called Abortion is Modern Day Eugenics where we talked about these types of legislative attempts. If a woman wants to get an abortion because she just doesn't want a girl, so if it's a girl, she's going to kill it, that would be discrimination. Let's, let's ban those kind of abortions. Uh, Kamala Harris, had she had her way with this Women's Health Protection Act, would have got rid of those as well. According to the Charlotte Lozier Institute, it would invalidate the application of state laws that prohibit the eugenic practices of Down syndrome discrimination, abortion, sex-selective abortion, and race-based abortion. This Women's Health Protection Act would also block states from protecting pain-capable babies at 20 weeks of pregnancy in most cases, where there it's beyond a shadow of a doubt that the baby can feel pain at that point. Now, Maureen Kondik has done great work showing that actually we can detect fetal pain much, much, much earlier, uh, even in the first trimester, but just not 
at the full range of human pain. But everyone agrees by 20 weeks that abortion is a horrifically painful procedure and the baby is experiencing the full range of human pain just like you and I would be feeling. And this bill would basically keep states from passing that type of legislation as well. Charlotte Lozier Institute saying that the Women's Health Protection Act creates a statutory right to perform or receive an abortion without any limit from a prohibition on abortion prior to fetal viability. Fetal viability occurs at 20 after 20 weeks of pregnancy in most cases. Therefore, this bill would block 20-week laws in most cases. And even more horrifically, the Women's Health Protection Act would have overridden state restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. So if you just want to say no killing babies in the third trimester, which is entirely uh, – it doesn't even – sorry, it doesn't even challenge Roe versus Wade, right? Roe versus Wade said that states could pass restrictions on abortion unless doing so endangered the health or life of the mother. And then they didn't define health, functionally making abortion legal through all nine months of pregnancy anyways. But savable lives are saved through bans on late-term abortions across the country. And this piece of legislation would have prevented those as well. Uh, the bill would basically invalidate any state law that, according to the language of this bill, prohibits abortion after fetal viability when in the good faith medical judgment of the treating physician, continuation of the pregnancy would pose a risk to the pregnant woman's life or health. But Alexandra DeSanctis, writing at National Review last week, said, according to reporting from John McCormack, the bill's sponsors have said that it does not distinguish between the mother's physical and mental health. <laughs> so read in conjunction with the Supreme Court's ruling in Doe versus Bolton, defining maternal health as all factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the person's age. The Women's Health Protection Act would invalidate any and all state-level protections for unborn children after the point of viability, indeed, up until birth. Lovely. And this has Kamala Harris written all over it. She's a co-sponsor of the bill, the most radical piece of proposed federal legislation on abortion ever. So that's that's just the first bit of Kamala Harris's radicalism on abortion. Moving on, she is, of course, a supporter of infanticide. And I have, I think, quite properly been describing the Democratic Party as not just the party of abortion now, but as the party of infanticide. Kamala Harris, with nearly every other Democratic senator in 2019 and again in 2020, voted against the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Remember, proposed by Ben Sass out of Nebraska, in large part responding to the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, who went on a radio show in early 2019 and was being asked questions about one of his representatives' bills that would have legalized abortion through point of birth in Virginia. And they asked him, uh, Governor Northam, what would you do in a situation where a baby was born during an abortion? And he goes, well, I'll tell you what we do. We'd make the baby comfortable. We'd resuscitate the baby if that's what the mother wanted. <laughs> and then the mother and the doctor would have a conversation about a baby wriggling in the crib who was already born alive during a botched abortion. The hell's wrong with you, Ralph Northam? What is there to have a conversation about? That's the that's infanticide, right? If the mother wanted to resuscitate the baby, have a conversation about what to do with that abortion survivor. Absolutely disgusting. So they proposed this bill. Now, Bush administration passed the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, which said that babies who survive abortions are persons under the law. That's fine. That's great. And infanticide is illegal. But because the Democratic Party has worked so hard for so long to ensure that no types of regulations at all are on the abortion industry, the abortion industry has gotten away with infanticide for decades. If you don't believe me, go check out any number of testimonials in Congress by Jill Stanek or her own writing, who uh, in, at Christ Hospital in Illinois, correct me if I'm wrong, 
uh, discovered infanticide being practiced in the hospital where babies who were born alive during botched abortions were just taken and left to die. And we know that this has happened around the country. We know cases like Kermit Gosnell and other grisly abortionists who were snipping the spinal cords of, of babies who survived abortions and were born. So the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act just said that if a baby is born alive during a botched abortion, that that baby, one, immediately needs to be transferred to a hospital, right? Two, they have to be given the same level of attention and care as any other baby born at any other gestational age in normal circumstances. And thirdly, if the physicians, the abortionists, the staff at the abortion clinic don't report the fact that a baby was born alive during a botched abortion, or worse yet, if they fail to care for the baby or actively kill the baby, there's actually going to be legal repercussions, right? Like you could actually be charged for murder of this baby. So this bill improved on the one under the Bush administration by prescribing penalties for those who fail to care for abortion survivors. That's very important. There needs to be deterrence or incentives to care for these children. Unfortunately, you wouldn't think we'd have to tell people don't let infants die. You want to know how many Democrats in the Senate voted for the anti-infanticide bill? Three. Three. And they're all pro-abortion. They just said, well, either this is too much or I kind of I kind of come from a district where there's a lot of Republicans and I definitely won't get reelected <laughs> if I don't vote for this bill, right? How many Republicans voted against it? Zero. They all voted for it. So the Democratic Party is the party of abortion and they're the party of infanticide. And Kamala Harris voted against this bill both times. So she is an infanticidal apologist. Now, if the media had a shred of integrity, a shred of journalistic integrity, then Kamala Harris would not be tolerated as a vice presidential candidate. If they covered the Democratic senator hacks who all but three greenlighted infanticide in the same way that they covered Russian collusion hoaxes and inter election interference hoaxes and systemic racism hoaxes, then it's very likely that the American populace would not tolerate someone like Kamala Harris. But nobody wants to talk about that she's an infanticidal apologist along with nearly every single one of her colleagues in the Senate. Okay, so we're going to get to more of Kamala Harris's voting record and what she's done to target unborn children. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars, then uh, consider becoming a patron of the show. We thank some of our patrons of the show at the top of the show. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and check out our fun tiers. You get some pro-life content. You get to interact with me. You get a Facebook group. Um, there's a, a, a bunch of other kind of fun perks there if you can throw five, 10, 15, 20 or more dollars a month to help us fund this show. You know, my uh, longtime leader in the pro-life movement, a personal hero of mine, Greg Cunningham, once said that there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. And the commitment of the abortion serviles sometimes is, is larger and more apparent than those who claim to be pro-life. Well, we need to do something about our claim to be pro-life. And that doesn't mean you have to support my show. You should do something in your own life. But if that lines up and you want to help us create more content to equip and disciple people to defend the unborn, then please do that. That means a lot to us. Thanks so much. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to Unaborted. So, we're looking at Kamala Harris's record, at least the high points, the things that are very relevant for us to know in regards to her political history on abortion, because she is one of the most radical members 
of Congress. She was a horrible attorney general in California before she became a senator. And she's a vicious, opportunistic politician who is a political knife fighter and and treats her political opponents horribly, treats pro-lifers horribly. And uh, if given political power in the Oval Office, will oversee the deaths of millions of more babies that could have been saved had she not been elected. And let's just say what we kind of all know. Let's just say the quiet part out loud, okay? In a, in a Biden-Harris administration, Kamala Harris will be president. We all know that, okay? Joe Biden himself has said that he sees himself as a transitionary candidate, right? And while the Democratic Party is denying that his mental fitness has waned at all, upon election, they will immediately declare that he's mentally unfit for president, at which point Kamala Harris will become the president of the United States of America. A scary thought to think about for sure, and certainly for our unborn brothers and sisters. These are the political realities, and they have consequences. They matter because politics is the art of the possible. Politics is how we debate and decide the lives that we live, the types of policies that we want to live, and how we want to live as free Americans. And Kamala Harris has no respect, as you'll see throughout this episode, for any type of American norms, for conservative jurisprudence, prudence, for constitutional norms, um, and would be an absolute terror to uh, freedom and to the lives of babies. So moving on on sort of her track record, what we know about her, Kamala Harris, of course, opposes the Hyde Amendment and has promised to overturn it, the Hyde Amendment keeping federal dollars from funding abortions, keeping our dollars from funding abortions, despite the fact that we still fund Planned Parenthood at the tune of $600 million a year. And they are just told, don't use it on abortions, okay? (laughs) But like we've talked about before, money is fungible, right? So if you want... If you want to buy a pizza and you want to go mini golfing, but you only have $20 and I give you a $20 bill, now you have 40, which $20 bill did you spend on the pizza? Who knows? You can do both now, right? Because I gave you enough money to do both. Money is fungible. So we are funding abortion because we're giving Planned Parenthood money to move around and do whatever they want with it, or it frees up money for them to uh, put money into abortion efforts. But we're told, okay, no money specifically on abortion. And we know that the Hyde Amendment has actually saved a lot of lives. According to the Federalist, the Hyde Amendment has saved probably 2 million babies. And that's according according to their article, the here, here's why. They say when taxpayers don't sponsor abortion, women on Medicaid are less likely to get one, right? Because Medicaid, you wouldn't be able to use those federal dollars in Medicaid for abortions. News research reveals that one in every nine people born to a mother on Medicaid, is alive today because of the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment saves more than 60,000 lives in the United States annually. That's amazing, right? That's a a small victory, but it's also a big victory because those are human beings. Those are lives now that are here. Um, And if you want to sort of of just get a smile on your face, you can go to hellohide.org. That's hellohide.org. And just show some of the faces of lives that we know pretty well are saved in here today because of the Hyde Amendment. So that's a really good thing. Of course, Kamala Harris has promised to overturn that. And Joe Biden, for his part, he supported the Hyde Amendment for his nearly entire political career until 2019, right? If you listen to that episode, Joe Biden, abortion crazy kook, just last year when he was like, I'm going to run for president. Oh, 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 whoa. The left took over the Democratic Party. What happened? Well, I guess I got to check every leftist uh, ideological positional checkbox. And they say the Hyde Amendment is evil, racist and bigoted. So I guess I have to change my position. So a Biden-Harris administration would also overturn the Hyde Amendment. Now, 
now we get to Kamala Harris's most disgusting chapter in her uh, in her anti in her anti pro life anti unborn bigotry. As you probably remember, Kamala Harris was Attorney General for California when David Daleiden and the Center for Medical Progress exposed Planned Parenthood's disgusting complicity in the sale of dead baby body limbs that they had already killed from abortions and selling them on the black market for a profit, which is illegal. And she targeted the undercover journalists, the whistleblowers, who exposed the criminal activity of Planned Parenthood rather than the criminals who were participating in the activity. Unbelievable. Kamala Harris. So David Daleiden and Sandra Merritt in 2015 met with high-ranking Planned Parenthood executives posing as an interested third party in purchasing fetal body parts from abortionists or from abortions. And that's because they knew that this was happening, right? Now, all of these recordings and all of these meetings took place in public areas, like like in, in restaurants, right? In, in public places where there's no reasonable expectation of privacy. But what Planned Parenthood was doing was illegal. According to 42 U.S. Code 289G-2, quote, it shall be unlawful for any person to knowingly acquire, receive, or otherwise transfer any human fetal tissues for valuable consideration. What does valuable consideration mean? You're just financially benefiting from it, right? That you're actually, it's a quid pro quo. You're getting something in return. This is important because allowing for profit to be made on the exchange or sale of fetal tissue creates an incentive to make more of it. And you can only get body parts from killing the human beings in the womb. Kamala Harris was the California AG at the time. And when all this came out, she immediately launched an investigation into the whistleblowers, raided David Daleiden's apartment to steal any other footage that he might have of high-ranking Planned Parenthood officials, all while defending the criminals the, 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 and the crimes that the whistleblowers had exposed. Unbelievable. And of course, why is that? Because Kamala Harris gets massive political donations from Planned Parenthood every year and has had 100% approval ratings from NARAL Pro-Choice America for her entire political career. So pro-life organizations immediately demanded that Kamala Harris resign over the blatant conflict of interest, right? And at the time, Daleiden's attorneys cited leaked emails that, were you ready for this, that showed that Kamala Harris and her office was working with Planned Parenthood discussing and drafting legislation that would criminalize undercover investigations like theirs, like the ones that had exposed Planned Parenthood's criminal activity. So Kamala Harris just just responding to the beck and call of the abortion movement, of the abortion behemoth, and completely ignoring her political duties as AG to, to target criminal activity and instead covering it up because those who were being exposed line her pockets with a lot of cash. It's disgusting. This is who she is. Obviously, this is blatant viewpoint discrimination, right? I mean, obviously. Uh, David Daleiden, in an interview with Breitbart News Sunday on August 16th, uh, really just blew the, the lid off here. I'm going to read a little bit about what he said here after learning, of course, that Kamala Harris was selected by Joe Biden for his running mate. He said, in the state of California, when Kamala Harris was the attorney general, you could do undercover investigations of factory farming, corrupt chiropractors, and fraudulent air conditioning repairmen. 
local TV news journalists in California were filming and publishing undercover video with conversations, sometimes even in private office spaces, and publishing these videos on a daily, weekly basis. Not a single one of those journalists ever had their home raided or were prosecuted by Kamala Harris's attorney general office. Oh, interesting. How funny. So apparently Kamala Harris isn't all that concerned with what she thought was the unethical practice of recording people without their permission in public places, which is totally legal if you're an undercover journalist, if you're anything. If you did the exact he – go, he goes on – if you did the exact same kind of undercover filming and publishing and your message was something that questioned Planned Parenthood or questioned the abortion industry, the sacred cows of Kamala Harris and the San Francisco political establishment in California – then in that case, I became the first and only person involved in news gathering, the first and only citizen journalist in the state of California to ever have the California video recording law enforced against me criminally. And Delighted rightly accused Kamala Harris of prostituting her law enforcement powers to the service of her political campaign donors, just weaponizing her office, allowing Planned Parenthood to weaponize her office to do whatever they want, to slide their hand into her like a puppet, like like just uh, baby body parts, just like body parts that they can move around for their own benefit, just like they traffic in baby body parts. So how much does Kamala Harris hate babies? Well, if anyone or anything dares to use their freedom of speech to attack or seek to discredit the abortion behemoth or say babies, she will attack you with the full force of her political office. And she has made that blatantly clear to us. And we should be listening and ensuring that woman does not get any more political power beyond what she has already accumulated. So we're going to get just, we're going to get to that next, right? We're going to look at how Kamala Harris would use the power of the vice presidency and let's be honest, the presidency to attack unborn children and those who seek to protect them. But first, I have an exciting announcement for you. I am launching my university speaking tour for this fall and spring and it is entitled The Myth of the Pro-Choice feminist. We're going to examine the history of the women's movement and the sexual revolution, and we will discover how the two got in bed with each other and the damage that their infidelity wrought on women, families, and preborn children. We're going to make this available in a tabling event format to do debates and conversations with students on your campus, as well as the typical lecture format in a lecture hall that people can attend because we understand many colleges are not going to allow those types of events because of these uh, shutdowns. So for questions and bookings, email me at seth at sethgruber.com. That's seth at sethgruber.com or contact me through social media. And we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show. So are you convinced yet that Kamala Harris hates babies? <laughs> Probably the most radical pro-abortion member of the Senate and, of course, the garbage senator here in my state in California. So we've seen exactly what she thinks about unborn children, what she thinks about you as pro-lifers. Uh, but next, we're going to look at what would be the consequences and the damage that giving her the White House would do. Again, let's be honest. She will probably be the president if Biden is elected. It's very unlikely that the Democrats would even allow Biden to finish out the first term. They would probably just argue that he was unfit and put Kamala Harris in the White House. What would she attempt to do and how would she attempt to do it? And she's given us enough clues about how she views the role of the government and her willingness to weaponize federal power for her own personal goals such that we can evaluate, I think, a pretty decent opinion and perspective of what a Biden-Harris administration might look like for unborn children. So 
One of the things that she made very clear in 2019 when she was running for president right before her campaign erupted into flames because it was a horrible campaign and she's not a very good politician was she was promising to block any type of pro-life laws from any state in the country from passing before they were basically even voted on. It is unbelievable, right? What she she called this pre-clearance which is unbelievably unconstitutional and violates all of the concepts of federalism. So here's Kamala Harris in 2019 being asked how she would deal with all of these pro-life laws that were getting passed in more pro-life states. Uh, My plan is as uh, as follows. Uh, For any state that passes a law that violates the Constitution, and in particular Roe v. Wade, our Department of Justice will review that law to determine if it is compliant with Roe v. Wade and the Constitution. And if it is not, that law will not go into effect. That's called preclearance. That's called preclearance. Didn't you know that? Aren't you an American? Didn't you take a didn't you take a government in high school? Remember, preclearance is when the federal government tells states which laws that they can propose or not. (laughs) Unbelievable. This woman Pre-clearance, obliterating federalism and overturning the democratic will so Kamala Harris alone can dictate whose voices and votes will be respected. That's what she's saying. Harris is committing to single-handedly destroying the pro-life movement's legislative impact, neutering the votes of free Americans who wish to limit or who wish to ban abortion in their state. No, you can't do that because Kamala Harris believes abortion is a constitutional right. And so she's going to violate all of the constitutional norms and upend the American system to enshrine her perspective on abortion onto 330 million Americans and millions of unborn children who will be murdered because of her policies. Pre-clearance, my goodness. So that's one thing that she's told us that she would do. Moving on, Kamal Harris has said that she would she is very friendly to the idea of expanding the size of the Supreme Court. And of course she is. You remember how angry the Democratic Party was when Trump uh, nominated uh, Neil Gorsuch and then later Brett Kavanaugh and how, how how the terror that they live in every day at the thought that Ruth Bader Ginsburg might retire or die and Trump would get a third appointee or if that he gets elected again and probably will replace Ginsburg and uh, probably someone else as well being four Supreme Court justice appointees over uh, a two term presidency. They live in utter f- horror of that. And so typically their response is to more is to you know, just more federal power, more federal government power to get what we want. In this case, it would be just adding more Supreme Court justices. And so she was asked this question in May of 2019, whether she would support adding as many as four more justices to the bench. And she said, I'm open to this conversation about increasing the number of people on the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh, are you, Harris? You're open to it. okay?" (laughs) And she said that this was important because of the crisis of confidence created by Republicans, meaning we can't be confident with the people you're going to elect. Right. Meaning that uh, that you postponed the uh, appointee and nomination of Merrick Garland and and held off towards the end of the Obama administration and then got Neil Gorsuch on the court and you've created a crisis of confidence. And so maybe we should consider packing the court with leftists when we get political power again. Now, the Constitution doesn't say that the Supreme Court has to be nine justices. So that is something that could be voted on. But typically, it's not been a subject that has been broached by American politicians because they can go on along with tradition. And plus, it, it gives Americans a really bad taste in their mouth, right, to know that that 
the partisanship of just saying, because we have political power right now, now we're going to expand the size of the Supreme Court so we can just appoint a bunch of new Supreme Court justices that hold our jurisprudence, mainly a bunch of leftists, right? And so imagine what this would what this would mean for our country, for the pro-life movement and for unborn babies in a Biden-Harris administration. They get elected. Boom. They add four more leftist justices. And that's it. That's it for probably decades. That's it for conservative jurisprudence. That's it for the pro-life movement's hopes of overturning Roe v. Wade at any time in our lifetime. Because any case that would go up to the Supreme Court, suddenly there's four more leftists on there who hold the jurisprudence of Ruth Bader freaking Ginsburg. Just imagine what that would do to the pro-life movement. Now, maybe you say, well, Seth, Republican senators would never allow that to happen. Now, that's assuming that we have a majority in the House or the Senate such that we could stop a vote from expanding the size of the Supreme Court. But you say, OK, but if we don't, right, and, and the Democrats have the White House, they have the House and they have the Senate, then there's there's always the filibuster, right? We can just always filibuster that attempt. And that leads us to our next point of what Kamala Harris has told us that she's willing to do. And that is, if she doesn't get what she wants, she's just going to abolish the filibuster. (laughs) Because we can't have those pesky Republicans stopping her from packing the Supreme Court with four new leftists and instituting pre-clearance guidelines for more red states that want to pass pro-life laws that say we shouldn't kill children in the womb. So at a September 2019 CNN climate crisis town hall, Harris promised that if she didn't get her way as president in enacting the proper strategy to fight climate change, basically, if the Republicans don't give me what we want, what I want as president, and if they don't subscribe to the same legislative attempts to fight the sun monster, then I'm just going to abolish the filibuster so that they can't oppose me at all once we have the House and the Senate. Harris is telling us in no uncertain terms that she is willing to grow and then pack the Supreme Court. And if you try to stop her, then she will simply remove the last check that the senators have on power, eliminating the filibuster, leaving us all subject to the whim of the majority. Now, if you're younger and you're listening to the show and you've forgotten from high school what the filibuster is or you don't know, right, the filibuster is when any senator can just stand up after a bill has received enough votes And obviously, it's a center from an opposing party and just talk for hours, for tens of hours (laughs) until people are are driven mad out of boredom or wanting to go home that they'll they'll put the bill to rest. Right. It's, It's sort of the last check on power that individual politicians, senators have to stop a bill from going into law before the president signs it, of course. So this would essentially end the political aspect of the pro life movement between her pre clearance plan. And a Supreme Court suddenly with four new leftists, pro-lifers could accomplish nothing politically and million more, millions more babies would die. I mean, this is all incredibly radical stuff. Incredibly radical. There, it was never common to talk about these kind of things. Nobody raised these types of things because everyone understood that these checks and balances are important in regarding the filibuster, right? In regarding the Supreme Court, it's, it's good for all of us to leave it as is so that we're not we're not seen as just, you know, rushing to accrue federal power and to pack the courts however we want so that we can pass whatever laws we want. Um, it's just it's and these things benefit everyone, don't they? Republicans, Democrats, anyone can filibuster. But the Democrats want to get rid of that now because they want to move into a position to where they can never be challenged again by Republicans. 
And this moves, this sort of takes us to our next step here, which is that Kamala Harris has been very friendly to the idea of making D.C. and maybe even Puerto Rico U.S. states, which would probably immediately grant Democrats four more senators, <laughs> in which case they would for sure have control of the Senate, particularly uh, if they also won the White House, therefore controlling the House and the Senate, expanding the Supreme Court and having no filibuster in place. Just just rule by pure political power and majority. So that's what she wants to do. In fact, on June 26th, she tweeted out, Washington, D.C. has 700,000 plus residents, more than some states, but they are denied full representation in Congress. It's time to grant D.C. statehood. Now, there's a lot of reasons why D.C. is not a state. We don't have time to get into all of it right now, but it doesn't have anything to do about stifling the voice of the people and not giving the residents in D.C. representation. But we all know that D.C. is incredibly left. The citizens of D.C. are the majority are all Democrats. So what would happen if D.C. was made a state? Boom, two more Democratic senators, right? We know that's why they want to do this. Oh, you want to filibuster the attempt to make D.C. a state? Sorry, we took away the filibuster. <laughs> this is what Kamala Harris is saying in no uncertain terms that she is willing to do with presidential power. Now, maybe you're saying, would Kamala Harris really violate the Constitution so blatantly? Well, once again, I have an example to show you exactly how willing she is to do exactly all of the things that we just talked about. Last year, when she was asked what she thought about Joe Biden's comments that you can't just write executive orders, right, particularly pertaining to gun control. So he was talking, he was saying, you can't just write executive orders whenever you want to, for example, ban the importation of AR-15s. That's unconstitutional. She was asked what she thought about his comments on that. And here's what she had to say. Recent days, former Vice President Biden has said about executive orders, some really talented people are seeking the nomination. They said, I'm going to issue an executive order. Biden saying there's no constitutional authority to issue that executive order when they say I'm going to eliminate assault weapons, saying you can't do it by executive order any more than Trump can do things when he says he can do it by executive order. Does the vice president have a point there? Some things you can, many things you can't. <laughs> Let's let the senator answer. Well, I mean, I would just say, hey, Joe, instead of saying no, we can't, let's say yes, we can. <laughs> okay, that's weird. By the way, cackling like some evil Disney character is exactly what Kamala Harris does when she knows that any answer she gives will be the ruin of her political career. <laughs> Laughing like some cackling evil Disney character is what she does when she knows that if she answers she will ruin her career. <laughs> the, the, either if she answers, she'll be lying, or if she answers, it's going to turn off a bunch of Americans towards her, her political career. So she just laughs. She's been doing this in, in, on a number of different topics. It's, it's pretty creepy. But uh, anyways, that just goes to show what she's willing to do with presidential power, right? Joe Biden, a leftist in his own right, was saying in regards to this conversation Hey, I hate guns too, right? He called them AR AR-14s in a previous interview, but he said you can't just ban the importation of AR AR-15s, right? There is a Second Amendment. You can't just write executive orders to do whatever you want. In fact, you can't write you can't write executive orders to do whatever you want any more than Trump can. And what's her answer to basically Kamala Harris? How do you how do you view the Constitution? Because it sounds like you're pretty willing to crap all over it. And she goes, instead of saying we can't, let's say we can. <laughs> yeah. She's saying that, let's say we can. She's saying, I will do that, right? 
Kamala has proven she is not just willing, she's giddy and excited to crap on the Constitution and rule as an authoritarian dictator who will obliterate federalism, the voice of the people, and self-government in order to rein in her debauched political views. And on the topic of abortion, that will be more damaging than anything else. Millions of more babies will die. So this is her political career. And this is, I think, a reasoned perspective on what she would do as president or vice president on the topic of abortion. Not because I say so, but because these are all things she said she would do or that she's willing to have a conversation about. And that's what Democrats say when they're when they they want to sound reasoned, uh, reasonable and sort of centrist and moderate. Really, what they're saying is we need to do this right now or else. So what does all this mean for the babies? Well, it means that Kamala Harris is to babies what Hitler was to the Jews. Babies will be targeted for slaughter unlike any other time in American history under a Biden-Harris administration. You couple her political views, her political strategies, what she's willing to do with power and her views on abortion with Joe Biden. Go back and listen to Joe Biden episode, Abortion Crazy Kook. And you're talking about the most pro-abortion ticket in American political history. Pro-life legislative efforts and laws will come to a standstill thereby ensuring many more babies will die. They're going to remove the Hyde Amendment, which by all estimates saves 60,000 babies a year. So 60,000 more babies will be aborted a year. According to the Guttmacher Institute in September 2019, they reported that the U.S. abortion rate had declined by more than 23% between 2010 and 2017. Seven-year period, more than 23%. That's huge, right? So it's nearly a quarter. We kill about a million babies a year. That's about 250,000 babies less that have been killed in the last or decreased over the last uh, seven years. And we know that that is due in large part to pro-life legislation. According to the CDC in 2016 and their uh, surveillance report showed that the U.S. abortion rate had declined by approximately 50 percent since 1980. Wow, that's a lot, right? Now, we still kill way too many babies. We shouldn't be killing any of them. It's horrific. It's bloodshed unlike any other in American history. But that is a lot less lives, and therefore a lot more lives that are alive now today because of pro-life efforts. And we know that pro-life efforts and pro-life laws have been the contributing factor, the biggest contributing factor to the saving of these babies. Michael J. New at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, who studies the impact of pro-life laws, writes in National Review, quote, a key reason for this decline is that a higher percentage of women with unintended pregnancies carry them to term, illustrating that pro-life educational, legislative, and service efforts efforts have been effective. And uh, he he has another study going really in depth into what specific incremental pro-life laws have led to what percentage decline in abortions, therefore what number of lives saved. But assuming the majority of those increases are due to pro-life efforts, which I think is reasonable to assume, then it's not unreasonable to assume that if Kamala Harris has her way, there could easily be a 23% increase over an eight-year administration. And most presidents typically are reelected. So it's reasonable to conclude that if Biden and Harris get elected and suddenly Kamala Harris becomes the president, we're talking about eight years. And we saw a 23% increase decrease in abortion, rather, over a seven-year period between 2010 and 2017. So we could be potentially talking about roughly 2 million more babies murdered over an eight-year Harris administration than would otherwise be killed. 
Now, that's not even factoring in the new horizon of the abortion industry as it pertains to the abortion pill, right? The push right now by the abortion industry, which we've been covering a lot in this show, to, for telemedicine abortions, to pressure the FDA to remove their requirements that prevent the abortion pill from being sold online and their requirements that require a woman to come in and have an in-person evaluation and ultrasound to rule out the possibility of an ectopic pregnancy and to diagnose the gestational age of the pregnancy so women aren't taking the abortion pill past 10 weeks because that increases the chance of incomplete abortions and infection or death for the mother. They want to get rid of all of that, endangering the health of women to sell more abortion pills online, due in large part to pro-life efforts that have shut down more abortion clinics that have made it more difficult, you know, difficult, it's just you just have to drive for a few more hours, more difficult for women to get surgical abortions. And then with COVID, their argument has been, you don't want to win. you don't want to endanger women's health, threatening that they might get COVID with a one-person uh, meeting with a doctor, all wearing masks to get an ultrasound. You you can't do that. She'll die from COVID. So therefore, we need to send the abortion pill online with no in-person meetings or evaluations. This has been their argument. This is what they're pushing for. So if you factor that into the mix, who knows how many more lives are going to be killed in a Biden-Harris administration? This is who this woman is. And she d- deserves no place in American political life or in Amer- or being given Amer- uh, political power. Now, I want you to share this episode with a, uh, a pro-choice friend. I want you to share it with a pro-life friend who's a little bit of a lefty and just hates Trump so much, right? The anti-Trump Christian sort of people who just hate him so much that they, they'll actually rationalize a vote for Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. I want you to share this episode because there's far too much on the line to allow them to get political power. And then I want to make a final word to the to the anti-Trump Christians, okay? I want you to ask yourself the question, if the issue were slavery, would you be voting the same way? So assuming that you hate Trump just as much as you do, and you're willing to rationalize a vote for Joe Biden because you want to return to normalcy and you just see him as a kind grandfatherly figure, but instead of being divided between the issue of abortion The Republicans and the Democrats were once again divided over the issue of slavery. And everything I just said about Kamala Harris on abortion was about Kamala Harris on slavery, promising to expand slavery, promising to attack abolitionists, promising to criminalize abolitionists who tried to expose the evil business practices of the Democratic Party and their uh, their 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 violent, their violent uh, domestic violence arm, the KKK. Would you be able to set aside your dislike for Trump, to vote for the only political option that would make slavery illegal and save the lives of African-American brothers and sisters. I think you would. I think you would be a single-issue voter at that point. You'd be able to look past your the character flaws of Trump or your personal hatred of him. And if you, if you say, no, I wouldn't, I would still vote for the racist Democrats to protect slavery because that's how much I hate Trump. Um, then your moral compass is broken. But I don't think you would answer no to that. I think you would answer yes, that you would look past Trump's moral failure. So if you claim to be pro-life and you claim to be a Christian, but you're, you hate Trump, then how could you rationalize a vote for the other party just because the issue is abortion? And what does that say about how pro-life you really are? I think it shows that you're not as pro-life as you say you are, and you're not with us because you're willing to vote to keep the killing of pre-born children legal. 
that's not a pro-life perspective at all. Well, that's all we have time for for today. Thanks for joining me. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Really helps us reach more people. I had a bunch of trolls uh, trolling me on my Facebook page today and probably going to leave lots of nasty reviews for my podcast. So give us some reviews. It really helps out. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com for my newsletter to see my speaking schedule. Yes, I do have some speaking events this fall all around the country. Um, and also to uh, get any training videos or to contact me as well. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted.